This is Kevin Evans with the chapter by chapter life class at Crossroads Assembly of God in Greenville. And we are uh, trying to tackle the gospel one chapter at a time. And uh, it is the Sunday after Thanksgiving and we are passing around leftovers aggressively as we speak. Uh, uh, We are currently in Acts 12. And uh, we've just, <clears throat> uh, uh, Barnabas and Saul have just returned back to Antioch. And uh, Luke then tells us a story of Peter's miraculous escape from prison. And I, and I suspect there's a kind of a time jump here because Luke begins it with, uh, it was about this time and that always makes everybody go, what? You know, so there, there, there may be a year or so in there between chapter 11 and chapter 12. And, uh, but historically, we can date most of the things that he's about to talk about through outside sources, uh, namely Josephus, who gives us quite a bit on this particular chapter. And Josephus, for those of you just tuning in, was a uh, Jewish historian who was not the least bit Christian, who was uh, writing histories for the sake of the Romans and was recording all of the political uh, uh, machinations in in Christ's time and uh, refers to Christ uh, at least haphazardly and all the people around Christ and the growth of that particular church. And uh, a lot of what we know about Roman culture and Jewish culture comes out of his book. Josephus. Josephus. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, we are in chapter 12. Uh, There's two sections to it. Uh, The first uh, has to do with Peter's escape. And then uh, the second is about Herod's death. And um, honestly, before we read the scripture... I feel like we need to have a mini lesson on the Herodian dynasty because we keep coming across Herod and, and then Herod dies and then we see Herod again. And, and Herod is a little confusing. And uh, so I thought I would just, you know, clean that up for everybody really quickly. And uh, I had most of my notes done when I went back to kind of, you know, put that together. And uh, the Herodian dynasty is this big, huge rabbit hole where everybody is named Herod. And there's, there's at least a dozen of them, and, uh, I, and I don't have my notes with me. So what I'm about to do is the high school spitball version of the Herodian dynasty. And um, uh, Bill, if you feel the need to interrupt and correct me, Bill, then feel free, feel free. I give you, I give you permission. <laughs> well, if they all have the same last name, because I know this one's Herod Agrippa. Right. Well, actually, it would be the same first name, then, wouldn't it? Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Uh, okay. Julius Caesar was actually named Caesar. That's the name his mama gave him. And then he became this massive emperor, and everybody that came after him uh, used his name as a title. So Augustus was Caesar's nephew, I think it was. But he's Augustus the Caesar. And so he, he's basically telling everybody, I've got my uncle's job now. You know, that's what Caesar means. And so in Rome, Caesar becomes basically uh, synonymous with king or emperor. 
And so when you take that job, you assume that name. Well, yeah. Uh, I don't really know. That, that tradition is strange. But anyway, um, the Herod is uh, kind of the local despot over Israel. And uh, they had a really big Herod, which I'm about to talk about. And so after that, they followed the Roman tradition because those are the people that they're sucking up to. And so they start assuming the same tradition. And anybody who ends up being a ruler in Jerusalem for the next 200 years calls themselves Herod. And the problem was that Jerusalem wasn't one big uh, uh, country. It was a dominated country. It was a vassal country of, of Rome. And they had these different uh, uh, provinces and you had a tetrarch rather than a governor, and so it was cut up in chunks. And so we had descendants of the big Herod, Herod the Great, and they're all named Herod. So we had Herods that were angry at other Herods who were their second cousins, and they were, Herods were killing off Herods and stealing their wives who were named Herod, and I'm not joking, and, uh, and, and taking over their territories, and so it gets a little weird. Huh? He gets Herodias, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, you had Herod Antipas. He was the tetrarch of Galilee and Persia. Okay, we're okay. Okay, hold that thought. Hold and Herod thought. Philip II. Not there yet. Yeah. Not there yet. Okay. So Herod the Great was the first one. His daddy wasn't Jewish. His daddy was. Uh, Antimata something? His daddy was a descendant of Esau. And they weren't, they, they lived in the uh, eastern southern area of the desert over kind of near Petra, <laughs> just underneath. says that Herod, Herod the Great, or the Herod the Great, he was an enterprising, keen of intellects, builder of the temple, but bloodthirsty and cruel, and he was the son of Antipater, who was appointed governor of Coli, Syria, and advanced from one position to another until made king of an extensive territory. Thank you. Yeah. The father uh, was not Jewish. He comes into Jerusalem and conforms to Judaism. He uh, baptizes into the Jewish faith because that's what you want to do if you want to be a politician in Jerusalem. And uh, he does eventually get appointed to the governor of Syria as he worked his way up. He was a politician. Well, Herod, his son, uh, is the... Um, foreign diplomat rich kid in Jerusalem and he's kind of other from all of the Jews but he's raised with Jews he understands Jews he understands Judaism <gasps> but he's not really one of them does that make sense so he rises up because his father was uh, a, a big shot in the Roman government and he ends up being in control of Jerusalem 
as the Roman governor, and he solidifies his position, and he knows, because he was raised among these people, he knows where all the power bases are, and he crushes them, and he becomes a huge despot in Jerusalem. What's going on back there? I am making a terrible... I can make announcements later. It says, it says here that uh, Harry, he split, he split his kingdom between his two sons. We're getting there. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet. Okay, so Herod, as dictator, the great, he has ten wives at least. There was probably more. He had scores of children, many of which he killed at his whim when they annoyed him. Uh, he has no one to answer to and is thoroughly enjoying himself. Um, he has a favorite wife whose name was Miriami, he said with a question mark, so somebody's going to challenge me on that one. And uh, so he's with his number one wife, and uh, they're having a, a big sumptuous dinner, and he loses his temper, and on a whim he yells at his wife, and he has her killed. Bang. And then he immediately regrets it. He's quite sad. And his, uh, her son, who was married and had children, comes in and challenges his father because he just killed his mother. And that ticked him off, so he killed him too. And then he was really sad about it after it was over. And so he built this huge tower out on the edge of Jerusalem, which is called Miriam's Tower, which, which, which uh, tour guides will still point out to you when you go by. The base is still there. Uh, and so that was a kind of a famous family drama. So uh, he, that's the kind of fella he is. Um, three wise men show up in his court and they say, we heard that there were, there were these stars that his king was just born in your nation. And he says, oh, go find him for me. I would like to come visit. And then he has everybody killed in Bethlehem that thinks that he might. So he's that Herod, right? Okay, so... Right. So, so that's Herod number one. And, and he's known as Herod the Great because he was, by the Roman standards of greatness, he was great. He built buildings. He built the, the temple, the, uh, the, the temple mount where, where we're still, you know, sticking uh, the, the prayers in the wall, the prayer wall. That was the base of his uh, temple. That's still there. Those are Herod brought writ by bricks, you know, stones. Um, he, he built most of the infrastructure of Jerusalem over his time. They were in a constant civic building program while he was there. And every territory that he was in has some Herod-era building built into it, which is why they called him what they called him. Uh, there's even a section in the Gospels where Christ talks about the beauty of the temple, you know, which was Herod's big white temple. Okay, so Herod after a long and illustrious and, and dictatorial career, passes away, and he has dozens of children, all of which are in politics. And uh, there is one named Agrippa, who ends up being taking over for Jerusalem, and he has another named Herod Philip I, who was in charge of a province up a little further north. And Agrippa wanted Philip's land, 
after you know everything was divided up in the Greek way, they went into the Roman way where you kill each other for their property. So, so he goes to kill his brother for the property, which he successfully did. And then he married his brother's sister, who was named Herodias. She has the same name as all the rest of them, which tells me that she is, has some political power of her own. That's kind of what that name would imply. I would think that she is of one of the native peoples from that area and she has clout all by herself, so which is why she's called Herodias. So he marries her because it solidifies his power. And then there was this little story in the Bible where John the Baptist gets his head cut off with Salome. He's that Herod, that, that's that Agrippa. So, so, so he's a son of Herod the Great and he's married to his sister-in-law and raising the niece as his daughter, you know, you get the picture. So 10 years after that, sometime in 10 years after that, he gets foul of the Roman government. Don't exactly know what that story was about, but he gets exiled. They don't kill him. They give him the honorable way out and they let him pack his bags and leave. And he goes into exile. And then we go to the third generation of Herod's and that was Herod Antipas? Antipas. Antipas is Miriam's grandson. So Antipas is the son of the, the son that came in and said, oh, you killed mom and he killed him too. That was his dad. This is grandson. And grandson ends up in, 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 in the seat in Jerusalem. Meanwhile, he's got uncles, their first cousins once removed, actually, who were in charge of all these other territories around that are all related to Herod, and they're all named Herod, by the way. So we've got a Philip, the, uh, Herod, Philip II, he's up here, and we've got an uncle, Philip I, who's still down here, and, and he's there in the middle, and he's the new young buck nephew, and he's got the prime territory, so all of his relatives want him dead so that they can come take over that territory. Bill, you're up. Well, Herod Antipas was made a tetriarch. That's not the same as a king, is it? He was made the tetriarch of Galilee and Persia. Per, it's per, kind of like the word governor. Or is Perea, closest Perea. to what we would use to transfer that. Yeah. yeah, he was made tetriarch of Galilee and Para, where hell and to be fair, they were all tetriarchs. Yeah, according yeah, to they Romans. were. And, but still, they're dictators over their territory. And I don't know where these places are, but Herod Philip II received Eturia and Galactinus and Trachinodius. That's all south. Just think south. Just think okay. south. Yeah. I can't pronounce the name. South on the map. They're down. They're down in here. Okay. So. What, 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 what? You talking about me? What, what, what? I'm being nice to your students. Oh, okay. Okay, good. All right, so Antipas is the young guy. I guess young. I don't know how old he was. But I know that he was third generation, and all of his enemies are second generation relatives. So there is uncles or his second cousins who are old enough to be his dad, you know, that kind of stuff. And so, and he's got the prime location. So he's in kind of a spot. He does not have the power base that grandpa had. He is not uh, supported solidly by the church. He doesn't have the love of the people because, you know, he's the third generation despot that's been crushing them. 
So he needs to get the build his power base. And everything that happens in scripture that we're about to study is, if you interpret what he does by that, it all makes a whole lot of sense. Uh, what, what Josephus tells us is that Antipas, this, this Herod, uh, went to the chief of priests and had a nice long talk and basically asked the chief of priests to give him his blessing as the tetrarch. And to do so, the chief of priests required him to be circumcised as an adult because he had not been so. And he submitted to this. So this is a man that is committed, committed to controlling Jerusalem. Uh, and he may possibly, have, he doesn't say so, but I would suspect that he was baptized into the Jewish faith as well because they saw him as a foreigner and he needed the chief of priests uh, of the temple to recognize him as king and a Jew. So he went through everything that was necessary to pacify the priests and he made the priests very happy. I'm sure some gold exchanged hands as well. Yes, Bill. Well, he didn't actually rule in, in Jerusalem. He ruled over Galilee and Pira for about 30 years, seeking the title of king, but he was finally banished to Gaul. He is the one, though, that cut off John's head. Oh, that's his daddy. You're reading the wrong one. Uh, I've done, no. Antipas, okay, I, 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 number three. Ant Antipas, it says he ruled over Galilee and Perea for about 30 years, seeking the title of king. He was banished to Gaul. Yeah, okay, he, he okay. Is, Agrippa, Agrippa, wait, nephew, uh, he, he uh, Agrippa to Gaul. Agrippa is the one that's trying to establish himself. He did not know his, his, his uncle killed John the Baptist. That would be Antipas killed John the yeah. Baptist. We're talking about Agrippa. Okay, which okay. River, river, one or two? Uh, the, the, the one that was in charge between A.D. 41 and 44. I told you this was so fun. Yeah, because there's two Agrippas. There's there, Agrippa there's, one, Agrippa two. Yeah, there's two Phillips, too. <laughs> yeah, Caesar one Philip, two. one and two. Yeah, exactly. Okay, uh, I, I'm talking about Agrippa. So Agrippa is, uh, does establish himself with the Jewish church, and we know that from Herodias, and he is catering to all these priests because they're the power center in Jerusalem because everybody's intensely religious and all of public life, all of private life is focused on the, the temple and, 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 and church. And so he needs them on his side. So he caters to them. And he's also trying to solidify his power everywhere else and strengthen himself against the other uh, guys. And he's trying to play this big political game. Which brings us to chapter 12. It says he actually had oversight of the temple in Jerusalem and he nominated the high priest. So he really did solidify Oh, yes, because he was the tetrarch. Yeah. Over that, it's, but but he also needed them to support him. He, you know, they had a lot of power on their own. Okay, verse uh, chapter twelve, verse one. We're going to read this first section down to chapter nineteen, and then we're going to come back and see how much we can unpack from this. It was about this time that King Herod, and that would be Agrippa, arrested some who belonged to the church intending to persecute them. He had James, the brother of John, son of Zebedee, put to death with a sword. 
Then he saw that this pleased the Jews. He proceeded to seize Peter too. This happened during the Feast of Unleavened Bread. After arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. Herod, intending to bring him out for public trial after the Passover. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying for God for him, to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two guards bound with two chains, and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly, an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. When the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself, and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. This is at 3 o'clock in the morning, by the way. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, and a servant girl named Rhoda, which means Rose, came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her, when she kept insisting that it was so. They said, it must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the brothers about this, he said, and when he left for another place in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers, so that what had become of Peter? After Herod had a thorough search made for him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered them to be executed. It's rough on the guards. Okay, so... Herod is trying to impress the Sanhedrin. So he arrests James because he's breaking the rules and has him executed. And I don't know if that was directly intended to impress the Sanhedrin or just a function of the basic, you know, life. Uh, but it really made them happy. And he thought, oh, well, if I can knock out one apostle, then let's go arrest Peter. And he throws Peter in, in prison, too, because he wants the, the Sanhedrin on his side. I wonder if he beheaded James or if he just... Mine has a side note here that if he, if he was beheading, so I was, I'm not... Well, I wonder if that's... Um, beheading is the execution for Roman citizens by Romans. So a Roman... If he was conquering a country and would, you know, would, was going to execute a random non-Roman, they would crucify them or just stab them. Uh, but if you were a citizen, you had honor, 
and they considered beheading to be a formal execution and showing respect for your status as they killed you. So uh, it depends on, on how they saw James, to tell you the truth. Paul himself was a Roman citizen, and so when Paul was executed, he was beheaded. Um, but then it, it kind of varied elsewhere. So when Herod killed John the Baptist, that was a beheading, but that was because he wanted to display his body parts. Yeah, that's because his wife wanted to yeah. behead. Or so, you know, it, it, that wasn't a state execution. So I, I don't know. I, I don't know if it matters. Isn't it interesting that it's, you know, James, one of the three, is the first martyr. And this was about 10 years after Christ's ascension, so he's been preaching for 10 years. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think, it, you know, there, there are lots you can draw from that, but he's, his, his, his witness was over. It was time for him to go. And he's the first martyr, and I think, was I he, think. Was he the one that was um, headed the church in Jerusalem? I, um, I know that James, the brother of Christ, who is a different James, was was the was the uh, uh, yeah the head of Jerusalem. I don't know what his status was. He was obviously one of the twelve, so he had some rank. I also think it's interesting his brother was the longest lived apostle. So you know John lived into his old age, although it was a long and hard road for him. Yeah. You know. Yeah, yeah. So, so James is the first to go, and John is the last. Uh, you know, you can get a couple of sermons out of the implications of all of that. But uh, James is killed, and Peter is arrested. And so they put Peter in jail with sixteen men guarding him. That's what it says, right? It's not, not, not quite what they meant. Uh, it's a unit of four men, and in Roman structure, when they're guarding prisoners, there's usually they're usually four men units, and uh, they each have jobs. I don't really know what those jobs were. When they had a a, a prisoner who was uh, tricky and had a history, they would chain him to a guard, which is a very unpleasant duty for the guard, by the way. And so that way, uh, you know, if he takes off, then the guard's going with him. And so they, we, we guarantee that he's still going to be here. Uh, and so uh, that was common. Uh, they were really, really, really worried about Peter, or at least uh, uh, Herod was. Now, why would he be really, really worried about Peter? Because he wanted a big show when he put him on trial. Because Peter had a history of escape. It wasn't under his reign, but under his uncles, who was the previous Herod, who cut the head of John the Baptist off. They, uh, remember back in uh, uh, Luke, uh, they arrested all of the disciples, all the 12 were in prison, and, and an angel led them out, and they were preaching back in the temple. You know, we covered that a couple months ago. Well, you know, that, that was a big prison escape, and they didn't have any explanation for it. Well, now we're arresting the same guy again, and what do you think those guards are doing? Oh, it's this guy again? I don't want to guard this guy. You know, what happens to a guard when the prisoners escape? I mean, all, you know, the last crew is dead after that. You know, they, they're not real happy about him being back. 
And so, so they have this four-man crew. They not only chain him to one guard, they chain him to two, which is overkill. I mean, come on, right? I mean, and so they're nervous. And so they've got two guys in the cell chained to Peter and two guys guarding the door for those four guys, well, three guys in the, in, in, in the cell. And so, uh, you know, he's not going anywhere because their lives <laughs> depend on it. That didn't work too well for him, did it? No, it really didn't. Yeah. No, it didn't. <laughs> um, okay, Roman cells were not comfortable. Uh, often your, your, your feet would be locked in a stock and so you're barefoot and you, you've got a, a, a wooden clamp that's down on your legs so you can't get comfortable. Uh, and you've got to sit there and uh, you know the, the hygiene was non-existent so that's not pretty. It smells in there. Uh, you know and uh, I, I'm not sure I could sleep if you know, I weren't chained to a big smelly guard, and he's chained to two. And he's going to be executed the next day. Now, I just want you to put yourself in Peter's shoes. But he was asleep. What is with Peter? I mean, he was asleep. He was asleep. Yeah. Okay, first of all, I think this is a personal temperament thing. Because he's on the Mount of Transfiguration, and it says Peter fell asleep. And then they go to the Garden of Gethsemane, and we know the end is coming, and the great revolution's about to start. And, and he gets called out among the, the three, and he's going to pray for Christ just before you know, Christ gets arrested. And what does Peter do? Falls asleep. Uh, this is... Oh my goodness! I've had this student, you know, when when you when you walk through, the, the, you're, you're walking around, checking the room, seeing how they're doing on the computer, and you have to wake Jimmy up every time you come by. Was he moonlighting? What's the deal with Peter? I guess he was just so relaxed he just falls asleep. Oh, okay. I think that's part of it. Stressed out makes him go to sleep. Interesting. Okay. Could be. I, 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 I'm just speculating here. Uh, I, here's another interesting explanation. I think I'm going to give Peter some credit. And I'm going to say that Peter wasn't worried. What happened in the last chapter of John? That tack on chapter where all of the the apostles have run off and scattered and they've gone back fishing and suddenly on the bank there's Jesus and Peter jumps out of the boat and swims out to him and Christ, you know, says, you know, are you going to, you know, will, will you follow me? And he, he says, I want, I want to, you know, drink your cup. And he says, you will drink my cup. And he says, your arms will be spread when you were an old man and you will follow me. Christ literally, and Peter knew what that meant. You will be crucified when you are old. Christ told Peter how he was going to die. And he didn't want to be executed like Christ, so he had him, he had him crucified upside down. Unlike every, well, that, that was not in the prophecy, but yeah, that happened. 
Um, here's the thing. How many people in the history of humanity have known exactly when they were going to die? Peter had a very good picture. God told him when he was, when he was an old man and he was going to die in crucifixion. So if he's taking a boat across the river, is he going to die in, by drowning? No! He, if you know exactly where you're going to die, you're invulnerable everywhere else. Isn't that awesome? Think it through. Think it through. I think that Peter was very well aware that this is not the end. You know, he's uncomfortable, but he's relaxed. He's not going to die tomorrow. Yeah. And he's already been here once. He's been here before, you know, and, and, and we've got, even though we've got two guards, he's seen angels. They haven't. He knows how this goes down. You know, and he doesn't know exactly what God has in mind for him, but he knows it ain't this, you know. And so he's getting some shut eye. He's leaning against the big smelly Roman guard and falling asleep because evidently he can do that. He can sleep anywhere. You know, Peter has that trait for him. So, so I think that's interesting. I think Peter is very... I think Peter has come a long way since the Peter of the Gospels. I think Peter is a man of faith, and Peter knows it, how, the, how this is going to end, and he knows this isn't it, and he has complete trust in God. And so, yeah, of course he can sleep in a horrible finished. situation. Are we, no, are we supposed to feel the same way, though? Huh? Are we supposed to feel the same way? We are supposed to. I'm a nervous ninny. I don't know that I particularly, I, I spend all my time worrying when I shouldn't be worrying about anything, you know. Uh, that's an exaggeration, but yeah, I think it's a stretch. I, I prefer not to think about that. Yeah. I'm not scared to die. Said the man that just had surgery, so yes, that has, that has, you, you, you're speaking from experience today. Okay. I'm not in any hurry to. No. Right. So, that night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, and suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared, and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him up. Would you love to be rousted up by an angel? Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. And the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. It's being very practical. We're going to have to do some walking. I guess he was dressed for bed. Is that possible in a, in a cell? Uh, and Peter did sounds so. Like it, sounds like he was naked. Yeah, wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And usually that means uh, to tie it up so that you can walk. And uh, so he gets dressed. <coughs> and there's two soldiers in this room with him. I assume they're asleep. I was wondering the light didn't wake up. Or unconscious or zapped or, yeah, they don't seem to be in the picture. No. I think, yeah, okay. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It doesn't say they were asleep. I wouldn't have been asleep if I were the guard and the last time this guy escaped and everybody got killed. 
I would be really nervous about this guy. If I woke up and he was gone, I would have had ten cups of coffee. I wouldn't have went to see Herod. I'd have went somewhere anywhere. I'd have went anywhere to see Herod. When Jesus came out of the the tomb, they they all were knocked out. That's true. By the spirit to the ground. So I know if I'd been one of them guards when I woke up and he was gone, I'd have never went to see Herod. I went anywhere else but Herod. <laughs> yeah, that's it's a good time to leave the country. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so uh, I think it's interesting that Peter later thought this was a vision. He's seen angels talk to him before. His spiritual life has been active. He has seen he's he's seen God speak to him in a vision. He's had both of these experiences. Neither of them are new, and he thinks this is a vision. Is he so groggy from being sleepy that he doesn't know what's going on around him? Is he that kid? Because he was awake when the other angels let him out of prison. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. And so, and so they pass by the first guards, and, and then the gate opens by itself, just like you're walking through the front door of Walmart. <laughs> and they went through it. When they had walked through the length of one street, the angels vanished, and suddenly he had to wake up and figure out where he was and went, oh, wait. I'm... He said the angels, what verse is it, the angels vanished from Okay, the NIV says, when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. So maybe that says, I have to go now, and he walked away. Please do. It says, when they were past the first and the second ward, they came unto the iron gate that leadeth unto the city, which opened to them of its own accord. And they went out, and they passed on through one street, and forthwith the angel departed from him. Okay, well, and at that point he wakes up. Peter came to himself, says the NIV, and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord sent this angel and rescued me. I just find that to be curious. Was he not paying attention? I I don't know. Peter's an interesting fella. He thought it was a dream. From from Herod's clutches and so from everything the Jewish people weren't suspecting. And then when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John Mark. Which is evidently a place where the church gathered. Yeah, John Mark was the guy that wrote the gospel. And he was a kid at the time. He's younger than the rest. Fell out of a window. Hmm? Yeah. And uh, so evidently they were wealthy enough to have a house with a compound in it and big enough to host a lot of people and they were in a prayer vigil to get Peter out of jail. jail. You think they were praying for James? Were they praying for James? Might be a little late saying praying for James. suppose so. Or is it? He's already gone. He's gone. And they're praying all night long. It says continually. But then it says they had a lack of faith. A well, of, a lack of spiritual insight. Well, maybe a little. Uh, they're praying regularly. I think they're anticipating uh, something to happen. Uh, they're certainly earnest because it's three o'clock in the morning. I I have to say, 
I have done some big prayer vigils, but I have never lasted till three o'clock in the morning. I'm just, you know, at some point I'm, I'm, I'm asleep with my head on the table. I'm very Peter in that, that regard. Uh, but they're praying at three o'clock in the morning. And the hired girl, Rose, Rhoda, Rhoda it means Rose, goes to the door. And the commentaries that I've read about poor Rhoda are just really harsh to her. I, I, I'm much more generous. Um, she goes to the door, says, oh, it's Peter. So they're, they're anticipating what's happening. And all these people are praying for Peter to be released. And here Peter is released. And she doesn't let him in. She closes the window and goes and tells him what's going on. Okay, I don't know how old she is. And I don't know, you know, she's, she's working for the household. I don't know if I want the maid letting random people in my front door when the temple is hunting for us to kill us all. Well, it's in 14, it says, and when she knew Peter's voice, she opened not the gate for gladness. It says she didn't open the gate because she was glad, but ran and told how Peter stood before the gate. So she just got excited and didn't open the gate? I can see how I might, if I were, were Mary, mother, or what, I, I would say, don't just let anybody in, come talk to me first. I think I would say that if, if, if people were hunting for me and all. Yeah. He's the master of the house. Yes. And so, and so, also, I don't know the history of, of Rhoda here. And is this the first time that Rhoda has run in and said, oh, there's Peter, he's coming down the street? This could be the fourth time that she's come to tell them that, and it was just some guy that looked sort of like him. They may have been a little tired of her. But here's the sad part. They, yeah. asked, they, 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 they said unto her that thou art mad. Yes. So, so obviously, I think Rhoda has a history. I do. I do. I, and I don't think this is about... Peter being outside the gate and her being, you know, silly. I think I, I, I don't think they trusted Rhoda. Bye. Bye. All, all the music people are leaving me. So sad. Okay. Like wolf wolf. Yes. I, and so I think there are several interpretations here other than she's a dit. Um, you're out of your mind, they told her. That's harsh. Uh, and then she kept insisting, and then we come in with, it must be an angel. First of all, do angels knock? Angels don't knock. Angels show up. I, well, here's the strange thing. They said it, it's, it's Peter's angel. It's Peter. They, they thought Peter was an angel. So there was an idea in Hebrew uh, uh, culture, and I think largely in Christian culture, that there is a guardian angel for every person. And weirdly, the Jews seem to feel that that guardian angel would occasionally look just like you. At least that's the implication from this. Or I don't know. I, 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 don't, I, don't, I don't know where this is coming from. It says it was a, super, it says it was a superstition. I, I think they had some superstitious, spooky notions all kind of mixed in <laughs> with all the rest of the, the Hebrew uh, 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 teaching from Scripture. So there's that. If you see an angel once, it'll make a big enough impression. Maybe you won't be that way. I'm thinking so. I'm thinking so. 
And I don't know who's in this prayer vigil, but I think they're just sassing the girl. I really do think that's what this is about. Well, it says that, you know, they had a lack of spiritual insight. And they were praying, and then they don't believe it when they get the answer to their prayer. And I can't deny that. So, yes, I think they're praying with determination, but I don't know if they're praying with faith. Faith, you know? And I find myself in that position a lot. You know, I have often prayed for people to get well, and I'm convinced that they're going to be dead next week, you know? And <laughs> God, have your will be done, yeah. you know, because I don't, you know, because I just, I don't know that you can do this, you know? Right. And so in, in my mind, that's how I'm thinking of it. And I don't know. Uh, I, I try to pay, pray a complete faith, but I, I'm still me. Well, it's kind of you go back to what's going on in Israel right now between Hamas and Israel. It's because Sarah didn't have faith, and, and Abraham didn't have the faith to wait for God. And I've, I've heard that one. So, yeah. You know, there are ramifications for our actions. And then there's also the gift of faith, which is another level, level higher. Is that one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Yeah. Yes. I hate to hesitate to tell this story because it kind of reveals my personal lack of faith. But uh, when my boys were much younger, we had this little Dotson dog who died of heat stroke because we live in Texas. And uh, we, it, was, it was sick and, and, and hemorrhaging, and I had it in a bathtub, and we were trying to get this dog to you know, come around. And it passed away, and Clay was maybe three, and Blake was uh, uh, elementary school, and they were beside themselves. And so I needed to give my son some closure on this animal. So we had a funeral, and uh, we, we dug a hole, and I, I, I prepared it, and we put it in, and and uh, I said, okay, let, let's say a few words. And uh, we, we prayed over this dog's grave as we were burying it. And I prayed a prayer and, you know, thank God for his providence. And Blake prayed, you know, something. And then we looked at Clay, who was three. And Clay, with absolute, total, and complete faith, prayed and demanded that God immediately resurrect this dog. <laughs> And he prayed with passion and total belief that that was going to happen. And to the point that I, as the father, started kind of looking down in the hole, <laughs> seeing if that plastic bag was moving. Because I was going to have a hard time explaining this later, you know? Because the you know if you pray with the faith of children and I, I I felt ashamed of myself to tell you the truth because you know Clay was the only one praying with you know total faith the dog did not resurrect and I don't think that that was within God's plan but I would like to say that I I I, I want to be able to pray that way I don't know that I do all of my much esteemed intellect gets in the way. And <laughs> it kind of makes you feel blind almost. A little? Yeah. Well, what happens, I know you ran into the house. I would have had a very good story. I would have had a good story. 
I would have topped, well, maybe not top Jim's, but still. <laughs> I have a story, but I'll hold it. Okay. Um, okay. All right, we're, we're, we're out of time. Where are we? Uh, let's see. Eighteen in the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers, and yes, Herod killed the poor guards. Poor guys, I feel so. I don't normally feel sorry for the Romans in Scripture, but I kind of feel sorry for these four. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, guys doing the job. Yeah, I guess so. Uh, all right, we're when you get the assignment to guard Peter. Yeah, you don't want you, your life's on the line. It's over. Yeah, it's it's, it's time to move to Syria. Okay. Um, uh, we're going to stop right there, and we're going to pick it up at verse 20 next week, and uh, we're going to have a long, hard look at Herod's death. Uh, with that, goodbye, Internet. <laughs>